Open your Bibles with me to the book of John chapter 15. Thank you, Lord, for your word. John chapter 15, we began a series a couple of weeks ago that we are calling No Greater Love. And those are from the words of Jesus here in John, the 15th chapter, verse 13. Let's look at that together on the screen in the New Living Translation if we can. And then we're going to come back and read some of the context of it. Find out what was going on around this. But Jesus said this in John chapter 15, verse 13. He said, there is what? No greater love. Can I hear you say that together? There is no greater love. And what is this greatest love of all the loves? There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. There is, say it again, no greater love. I'm so stirred up about this. And I know that you and I are hearing from God on it because I can't get enough of it. I wish you could... I wish we could just sit and study to get the word together sometime because if we just had all the time in the world, we would just go from verse to verse, scripture to scripture, looking at everything the Bible has to say about this. And, and I have to have the help of the Holy Ghost to get it out of my heart into yours. And, and I know that the Lord's in it because I'm seeing stuff I have never seen before. Glory to God. And uh, Jesus said this. He said, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now, if you back up a verse into verse 12, we can look at it from the New King James. He said, this is my commandment that you love one another. Now, here's the key to it. As I have loved you. That is the key to knowing how to walk in love with each other. Knowing how much we've been loved. You will never successfully Live the Christian love walk, if you want to call it that, until you first know how much you've been loved. You've got to get a revelation of that. Everything else in God comes out of you knowing how much you've been loved. Your faith works by love. In other words, your faith will work, but not until you know how much you're loved. How can you have faith or confidence in somebody if you don't even know if they love you or not? You don't even know if they, they're for you or against you. You don't know if they're going to help you or hurt you. How are you going to put faith in somebody? Faith will work. I said faith will work. But you got to find out how much you're loved. Faith works when you know that you're loved. As a matter of fact, there is no operation of faith where there is no revelation of love. Write that down and put it on a shirt. There is no operation of faith until you know how much, until you have a revelation of how much you are loved. Somebody say, he loves me. My father loves me. And that's the key to having anything to give to anybody else. Having any love to show to your spouse, to your family, to your friends, to the people we're called to fellowship with. We have nothing to give to each other until we know what we've been given. Love one another as I have loved you. Now turn back to the 13th chapter. We've talked about this. One of the mistakes we make in thinking about the love of God and specifically the love that Jesus showed towards us, we put it all on the cross. And of course, that is the greatest expression of love. But when Jesus said this to his disciples, the cross was still in the future. And yet he said, love each other as I have loved. 
In other words, Jesus had already done something. He'd already demonstrated something for them to follow. And he said, do what I've done. Love as I have loved you. So it's not just the cross. And you know that because you can't go to the cross for me. I can't go to the cross for you. So there's got to be some other way, right? That we show this love for each other. And you see this in John chapter 13, verse 34. He said some of these same words, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Here it is again. As I have loved you, have loved. That you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. Now, all you have to do is back up in this chapter and you find out what Jesus was talking about. Here is the greatest of all loves. The laying down your life for your friends. Now, Jesus went to the cross and he did it for more people than just his friends. He did it for the whole world. And as a matter of fact, he did it for people that hated him. He loved you when you were dead in trespasses and sins, the Bible says. He loved us when we didn't love him. But what Jesus is specifically referring to is something that we can do for our friends. Friends. Back up in this chapter, and you find that John chapter 13 is the account where Jesus washed the disciples' feet. But every detail surrounding this whole account is so specific and it's so significant. Verse three says in John 13, Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. This is a revelation of the place and the position of power that Jesus holds, not just in this world, but in the world to come throughout all of eternity, eternity past and eternity future. That's a a revelation. That statement alone. He's from God. He's going to God. It's powerful. But even in light of that, look at what he did. Verse four, he rose from supper and he did what? Laid aside. That word laid aside, or I should say those words laid aside are the exact same Greek word translated laid down. No greater love than to lay down your life to lay aside your life. For who? Your friends. Greatest of all loves, to lay aside your life. He rose from supper and he laid aside his garments and he took a towel and he girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Now, if you skip down to verse 12, it says, so when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you say, well, for so I am. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet for I have given you an example. Here's the example. Love each other as I've loved you. Here's the example the washing of your friend's feet. Now, I'm so thankful Jesus said some things and and brought some clarity to it. He said, you don't understand what I'm doing, which evidently means it's deeper than just getting out a bowl of water and telling your buddy to take his shoes and socks off and getting his feet wet. 
It's deeper than that. Come on, somebody say it's deeper than that. And aren't you glad? Aren't you thankful? I'm not judging foot washing ceremonies. And you know, if the Lord wants to do that, we can do that. But there's more to it, okay? It's an example. It's a demonstration of love. And he said, if I'm your Lord and teacher and I've done this for you, you also ought to wash one another's feet for I've given you an example that you should do as I've done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant, there's the key word, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. And here's the good news, verse 17. If you know these things, blessed, somebody say blessed, blessed, blessed are you. If you do them. So what is it that Jesus did for us? I know he went to the cross, but we're talking about something else. What is it that Jesus did for us that we can do for each other? This is what he did. He laid aside. And we keep talking about that. And this is what's surprising me. I thought we were going to be kind of like one and done with the whole taking off the garment thing. Get ready. I saw some stuff in the last 24 hours I was excited. <laughs> but what he did for them, we can do for each other. He laid something aside. He took off that garment. And when he took off that garment, like we've said already, it was more than just a quick change of clothes. This, it was more than, I don't want to get these clothes dirty. It was so much deeper than that. It was the laying aside. Well, Philippians 2 says he stripped himself of his mighty weight and power. Other translations say he didn't think it was robbery to be considered and called equal with God, yet he took upon himself the form of a servant. That's exactly what happened when he took one thing off, took the garment off and put the towel on. Look up the words for yourself. The word towel is literally, it's a reference to an apron of a servant. He took one thing off, put something else on, and that's what Philippians 2 says he did. Stripped himself of one thing, of place, of power, of any pride that goes along with that. He humbled himself and he took on the form of a servant. Man, this is the greatest demonstration that took place in that whole foot washing ceremony. This is what he was saying, do for each other. Take one thing off. Take off your pride. Take off your place. Take off your position. Take off whatever power you think you've amassed and put on some humility and through love, serve each other. Amen. Serve each other. You cannot love without serving. I'm going to say something to you and it's going to mess with your brain, but this is scripture. The greatest of all loves is service. Amen. Yep. Amen. Because of what it requires you to lay aside and what it requires you to put on instead, the laying aside of your life, the laying down of your prioritizing, of your priorities and prioritizing somebody else, in love preferring somebody else, in love serving somebody else. How do we love the way he loved? Being a servant. We serve somebody else. And he called it the greatest of all loves. That messes with you a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah. It messes with me because I, I keep thinking that, that cannot be right. That just volunteering, 
I mean, take church, for example. We create all these teams and we give you opportunities to plug in and to serve. And we've talked about it in various places, the, the parking lot, the children's ministry, the, the, the music ministry, the audio, video, lighting team, the, the hospitality team, the, the cleaning team, the welcome and ushers and greeters. And you think that's the greatest of all loves? Because I said I would come and shake hands with people at the door. Well, did it require you to put something aside? then yes, it's the greatest of all loves. The world was saved by a volunteer. Jesus saved the world as a volunteer. Said, I'll do it. Instead of them, I'll do it. The greatest of all loves. Now go back to John 15. Let's look at this. I want you to notice some things he said in connection to it. Back up a couple of verses. John 15, he said in verse nine, as the father loved me, I also have loved you. Now, just knowing what we've already talked about, that should make a lot more sense to you. How did Jesus have any love to show and to give to you and to me? Because of the love that his father had shown him. That's powerful if you think about it. As the Father has loved me, I have loved you. And then he says this, abide in my love. Now, we've, we've mentioned this before, but when he said there's no greater love, he didn't say there's no other love. He just said there's no greater. And he makes this distinction here, abide in my love. Stay in it, stay connected to it, abide in it. Now, I wish we had time. We'd go back through these last several chapters. But Jesus made reference to several things here, and he called them his in a possessive sense. These were his personal things that he was giving you and I access to and inviting us into abiding in them. And abiding just means stay, means stay. You think your dog is smart because it'll do what? Stay when you tell it to stay. Ah, oh, pure genius. I've said it before, but I think God wishes some of us were half as smart as these brilliant dogs that we have when he calls us to just sit, stay. Good Christian. Yes, she is. Yes, she is. Abide, stay. And here you see he's inviting us to stay, not just in love, his love. He said in the chapter before this, in John chapter 14, in verse 27, he said, peace, I leave with you, but listen to the distinction, my peace, my peace. This is Jesus' own personal peace. And he said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. So there's the distinction. Jesus' peace is not the only kind of peace, nor is his love the only kind of love. But he makes the distinction, the peace I'm giving to you is not like the peace that the world gives to you. Well, what's the peace that the world gives to you? The peace that the world gives is completely contingent upon circumstance. It is completely reliant upon the condition that you happen to find yourself in at the moment. Peace exists once I get some of that, I don't have it. I want it. I need it. And I'll have peace when I have it. P 
peace that the world gives is a, world, is a peace that can be taken away. It's a peace that you can lose. If the circumstances change and you no longer have what you needed to have to be peaceful, now what are you? Not peaceful. And Jesus said, my peace is not like that. Now here, help me, Lord. I wish we had time. There's about a half a dozen things going on here. Jesus is talking to them about his peace, his love. Now, now go back to chapter 15. He added, identifies one more thing. He said in verse 11, well, back up verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. Or you could say you'll abide in my peace, my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that, that joy, no, my joy. So here's that third thing he's mentioned. He's talked about my peace. He's talked about my love. And now he's talking about my joy. And he's saying, I've said these things to you that my joy, Jesus' own personal joy may remain in you and that your joy might be full. Other translations say that your joy might overflow. Now, we know these verses and we do ourselves a disservice when we kind of isolate them and pick them out. And that's a great statement on his own. Glory to God. Jesus joys in me. I got joy and joy's overflowing. You got to go put yourself back where these guys were when he said it. He's talking to them about leaving. I'm leaving you. And you can see it through things he said through John 14, 15 and 16. It absolutely freaked these guys out. He had to say it more than once. Just in the 14th chapter, don't let your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Why is he having to tell them that? Because they are full of trouble and full of fear. He said he's leaving. You're leaving? You're, what do you mean you're leaving? Now he's trying to help them. He, he talks immediately about going to prepare a place for them. There are many mansions in my father's house. If it weren't so, I wouldn't have told you. But I'm going to prepare a place for you. What's he trying to do? Untrouble the heart. And it's not working. Man, if Jesus ran into this, you and I will run into it too. These guys are hearing him, but they're not hearing him. So you know what he does? He goes from that. If, if the hope of heaven is not enough, which it should be, to stir you up and pacify your troubled heart, let me tell you about something else. If I don't go, the helper won't come. But if I go... I'll send him. He starts introducing to them this ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he says, my peace, I'm going to leave with you. The Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is Jesus' own personal peace. Now, if you heard that and if you believed it, whatever trouble you had in your heart, you would see it just melt away because I've got Jesus' own personal peace. But bless these guys' hearts, it didn't work. It didn't work. They are still so panicked, still so fearful, and they cannot comprehend how him leaving is better for them. Because this is the greatest peace I've ever known. And you're telling me if you leave, I'll have peace? How's that going to work? I have peace because you're here. And he's trying to tell them, no, if I go, 
then I can leave my peace with you and you can have it wherever you go. And they're not getting it. They're not getting it. And you get to the 15th chapter and this is, this is what I want to touch on today. He starts talking to them, not only about his peace, not only about his love, but about his joy. And they're so fearful again because here's love himself that's leaving. How, how are we going to know love anymore when you're gone? How are we going to feel this kind of love that we felt every day for the last several years because you've been here? How are we going to have that if you're not here? And he's telling them, I'm telling you, here's the key to staying in it. Here's the key to abiding in it. Love each other. And this is what he said. I'm telling you this, that not only will my joy stay in you, but your joy, your joy is going to be so full and overflowing. And he's looking at guys who are weeping huge tears and hyperventilating because he's leaving. And he's talking to them about joy. Jesus said it. You think I'm making this up? John 16. I've said these things to you and sorrow has filled your heart. He's going, this is not the effect I'm trying to have on you. There should not be sorrow in your heart. There should be some peace. There should be some love. There should be some joy. And they're going, what are you talking about joy? How could there possibly be joy? You're leaving. Now here's what messes with us. He talks about fullness and overflowing joy in the same breath as laying down your life for somebody else. Now, here's where the renewing of the mind has to come in. Because to the carnal mind, that makes no sense. Why? Because joy is contingent. Just like peace is contingent. Oh, I believe in joy. And if I get me that over there, I'm going to have some of that joy. If I have this, I'm going to have that joy. Once I'm living in that, I'll have some joy. Once I'm driving something like that, I can see me driving that and being happy about it. But if your joy is contingent upon something else that you don't have, it's not his joy. I said, it's not his joy. He's talking to them about how to find and have an overflow with his joy. And he says it in the same breath with laying down and laying aside your life. I'll say it to you like this. The self-centered life is the most miserable life anybody could live. The self-focused life is depressing. And I mean that literally, clinically, Depression is the result of being so self-centered, so self-focused. But joy, come on, listen to me, joy. Where does this fullness and overflowing joy come from? According to Jesus, it comes from laying down, laying aside your life. Now, don't disconnect this from what he said about his spirit coming. When his spirit fills you up, that's when that peace is present. That's when that joy is present. I want to talk just for a minute or two about the joy of serving each other. Because if you're looking for some of this joy, then you're going to have to look where Jesus said it's found in laying down your life. I want you to turn 
in the Old Testament to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 6. And while you're looking for that, I'm going to read you just a couple of verses here. And I want us to put this on the screen. We, we've been hanging out there in John 4, 13, 14, 15. Look at, look at one last verse there in John 14. We'll put it on the screen. You're looking for 2 Samuel 6. But I want you to notice what Jesus said in verse 28. This is right after he said, my peace I give to you. Don't let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Verse 28, this is what Jesus said. You have heard me say I'm going away and coming back to you. Now listen, if you loved me, what would you do? Come on, church, are you listening? Come on, get in this with me. If you loved me, you would rejoice. Are they rejoicing? No. What's happening? Hearts are troubled, full of fear, panicking, afraid for the future. And what did Jesus say to him? If you loved me, the result would be joy. If you loved me, you would rejoice. Why? Because I said, I'm going to the Father, and my Father's greater than I. But what's the problem here? If you were to ask Peter, any of the guys, do you love Jesus? With tears and, and heaviness, they would have said, yes, we love him. That's why we don't want him to leave. But Jesus is saying, if you loved me. Now, I'm not accusing them of not loving him. But what I am saying is they are more focused on themselves than they are on him. And the self-centered, self-focused life is miserable. It is a miserable, depressing existence. And Jesus said, if you loved me, if you cared more about me, if you were not so mindful of yourself, but you were more mindful of me, you would rejoice. That's what love does. It rejoices. Now, you're there in 2 Samuel. Let me just read a few verses to you. We looked at this from Romans 12 last week. Romans 12.1 talks about beseeching you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. See, there again, that just proves we're not supposed to go to the cross for each other. So the laying down of our lives isn't the physical death in somebody else's place. Jesus has done that. But it does include being a living sacrifice, laying aside these lives. He talks about this living sacrifice that's holy and acceptable, pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. It just makes sense. If you know how much you're loved, you will love. That's what will happen. Without working, without trying, without making a big effort, if you just find out how much you're loved, love will be the result. He said, it's your reasonable service. He said, don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed. How? The renewing of your mind. Then he goes right into verse three. And this is where I want you to start with the renewing of your mind. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Skip down to verse nine. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another. With brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence. Now, listen to these words. But fervent in spirit, doing what? Serving. Fervent in spirit. Somebody say that. Fervent in spirit, doing what? Serving the Lord. Fervent, the word literally means having or displaying a passionate intensity. Having or displaying a passionate 
intensity. Not just serving, serving passionately. Serving with intensity. I like this from the New Living Translation. It says, never be lazy, but work hard and do what? Serve the Lord enthusiastically. Woo! Come on, give me a woo! This is how you're supposed to be serving the Lord. Now remember, Jesus talked about his joy in connection with no greater love than to serve each other. Serving the Lord enthusiastically. Enthusiasm, with some enthusiasm. I don't know if you were ever in high school drama, but maybe you, if you were, you, you stood on a stage and you delivered a line and it sounded a little bit like this and it was like, but soft, what light through yonder window breaks. It is the east and Juliet is the sun. Arise, fair sun, and kill the envious moon. You might have the whole monologue memorized. And your director just sits there with his hand on his cheek and you get to the end and he says, okay, good. But this time with enthusiasm, this time like you mean it, enthusiastically, our serving is actually supposed to have some joy associated with it, connected to it, some enthusiasm with it. In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 28, which is the blessing and the curse. If you look into the curse side of it, which I don't recommend, but it is good to know what you've been redeemed from. <laughs> Listen to what the Lord said. He said, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart. Notice he didn't say because you didn't serve him. He said, because you didn't serve him this way. Oh, come on. I'm messing with you right now. It's not because you didn't serve the Lord. It's because you didn't serve him this way. See, God's not going to let you and I get away with just doing stuff without heart in it. That's what he's looking for. That is what he's looking for. He's not looking for your mechanical approach to life. He's not looking for your re religious approach to serving. He's looking for some heart. This is what's big to him. It means more than anything to him. And he said, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy. Let me hear that. Woo. And what else? Gladness of heart for the abundance of everything. He said, therefore, you will serve your enemy. Not because you didn't serve him, because you didn't serve him this way. Because you didn't serve him like this. Like what? With joy. With gladness of heart. He said, because you didn't serve with joy, you will serve. Oh, baby, you will serve. But you'll serve your enemy. And he goes on in the rest of this verse to tell you what your enemy is. You know what it is? Nakedness, hunger, thirst, the lack, he said, of everything. Because you weren't thankful and grateful and full of joy because of the abundance he gave, because you didn't serve him with joy and gladness of heart over the abundance that he gave, you will serve in sadness the enemy of lack. This is serious stuff with God. He's looking for what kind of giver? Well, look, I gave. What do you want from me? Leave me alone. That's not what he's looking for. What kind of, what kind of giver is he looking for? Cheerful. Glad to do it. He said, because you didn't serve the Lord with joy and gladness of heart. You ready for this? This is that same scripture in the New Living Translation. Put that up there for us. 
if you do not serve the Lord your God with joy and enthusiasm. Man, I, I ran around the living room reading this this, this weekend. Going, I came into Sarah. I was like, look, here's a New Testament scripture that says enthusiasm. Here's an Old Testament scripture that I was enthusiastic. I was excited about it. This is revelation. This is what God's looking for. Some enthusiasm. Now, most of you know this about me. I'm kind of a word nerd. I've told you that. When you look up the word enthusiasm, enthusiastic, it's the Greek word entheos, theos meaning God, in meaning in. <laughs> Do you want to know when the Greeks used that word enthusiasm or enthusiast? You know what they were saying? That guy's possessed by a God. It literally means God within. Enthusiastic. Um, that scripture in, where did I read that to you? Romans chapter 12, serve the Lord enthusiastically. The cross reference says, let the spirit excite you as you serve the Lord. Now that connects back to what Jesus was trying to get these guys over into. You're too much in the flesh. You're too mindful of how this affects you. You're too mindful of what you think you're losing. Get over here in the spirit. And if you'll get into the spirit, you're going to find some peace. That's where you'll find some love. And guess what else you'll find there? Some joy unspeakable and full of glory. You're going to actually get enthusiastic. And Jesus said, if you love me, you'd rejoice. Now, I had a youth pastor when I was about ninth, 10th grade who would teach all the teenagers what it meant to rejoice. And we would sing this song about rejoicing. And the chorus was just, I rejoice in the Lord. And he said, this is what it means to rejoice. It means to throw your hands up. It means to throw your head back and to shout and to spin around wildly. And as teenagers, we loved it. It was like youth pastor sanctioned mosh pit. He'd start playing this song and then we would just throw our hands up and spin around. I rejoice, I rejoice, I rejoice. Now you got to be in the spirit because your flesh has no desire to do that. Especially in the middle of something you don't like. You're leaving. What's Jesus saying? If you love me, you would throw your hands up. You would throw your head back. You would shout. I wrote a, I wrote a partner letter this week. I do it every month. I write to the partners of our ministry. Many of you probably get it. Now, I wrote to him, remember, and I said, when I grew up, I used to listen to the oldies radio with my parents in the car. And uh, man, I remember turning up the radio real loud when one song would come out. That singer would say, makes me want to shout. Anybody remember that one? Throw my hands up and, oh, come on. Don't act like you ain't that old. You know, you make me want to throw my hands up and well, I got to thinking about that's exactly what the goodness of God ought to make you want to do. And Jesus said, if you love me, it would make you want to throw your hands up and and you're thinking, how could, well, what's the connection between you leaving? What's the connection between this joy and enthusiasm and shouting and laying my life down? That's just like God, isn't it? To put the blessing in the last place you'd look for it. To put your increase, to put your joy over here in serving somebody else. It's like, how's, how does increase come? How does blessing come? By being a giver. 
makes no sense to this world. This kind of joy makes no sense to this world. He's looking for some enthusiasm. He's not looking for somebody who shows up to serve with a bit of a chip on their shoulder, who feels like everybody owes them a great big thank you because, you know, I'm here. Hey, that's not what he's looking for, and it's not what we're looking for in this church. And as a matter of fact, if it, no matter what the need is in the church, I don't care if it's at the front door or on the stage. If you show up with something less than enthusiasm and joy over the opportunity to serve God and serve each other, don't be surprised if your leader comes to you and says, hey, why don't you take a break? Just come and sit and receive the word for a few weeks. What are we saying? There's, there needs to be a change. God's not looking for somebody that just shows up and checks a box. He's looking for some enthusiasm. And I don't care what the place or the position is. I will take some highly talented and gifted and able person out of it and put somebody else in who's got that kind of heart who shows up with some joy, who shows up with some gladness of heart, who shows up with some enthusiasm. Some enthusiasm. I was praying about it this weekend, asking the Lord, I need an example of this. You know, I started thinking about David. Here's somebody enthusiastic about God. You know, you've got to be enthusiastic to say, I would rather spend one day in the house of the Lord than to live my life in the tents of the wicked. That's enthusiasm. That's passionate about it. In that same Psalm, he said, I would rather, you ready? Be a doorkeeper. I'd rather be the guy standing at the door of the house of the Lord saying, good morning, good morning, good morning, welcome, hi, good morning, good morning. He said, I'd rather be that guy than to be served in the tents of the wicked. That's enthusiasm. I said, that's enthusiasm. That's like having something else. That's like letting the spirit excite you. And it's got to be the spirit that excites you to stand at a door and say, good morning, good morning, good morning. It's got to be the spirit that excites you. That says, I'm going to go work with kids today. I'm going to go change some diapers today. And check this out. It ain't even my baby. That's got to be the Spirit of God exciting you to go serve. That's crazy. You find joy in that? Oh, joy overflowing joy. Joy. Get excited to get here an hour or two early to rehearse, to sing, to play. Get excited to come an extra day of the week to, to, to get it all together. Get excited to, to study throughout the week. Why? Because Sunday's coming, glory to God, and this is my chance to serve the Lord, to lay down my life for my friends. Oh, I get joy when I think about it. This is what he's looking for, some enthusiasm. Well, that got me to thinking more about David did you find 2 Samuel chapter 6? I gave you like 15 minutes to find it. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, we read here where the ark of the Lord, where the presence of God dwelt in that time, was coming home. It had been captured. It was in enemy's hands, but it's coming home. And it's coming home under David's reign. And the Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 6, 
In verse 11, that the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Now it was told King David saying, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David, notice these next words, with gladness, with gladness. One translation says with rejoicing. One says with a great celebration. David's doing this. He's doing it with gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Verse 14, then David danced before the Lord. But this wasn't just some church jig he was doing. This was not some Pentecostal granny two-step dance. David danced before the Lord with all his might. How do you do that? It's not this. It's, it's not subtle. It's not contained. I don't honestly know what this looked like. I mean, we'll find out a little bit here in just a couple of seconds, a few verses. But all you know is David is putting everything he's got in it. He's dancing like a man possessed, like a man who's got something else in him, dancing with all his might. This is the kind of dance that you got to take a break from in a little bit. This is the kind of dance where you work up a sweat. And it says he danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a linen ephod, a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting. There you go. Shouting. And with the sound of the trumpet. Now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw David leaping and whirling before the Lord. Does that sound like my youth pastor? What's it mean to rejoice? Throw your hands up. Throw your head back. Shout and spin around. What's David doing? Rejoicing. He's rejoicing. Now his wife, Saul's daughter, is watching. But the Bible gives us these, this detail. She's watching from a window. Is she participating? Where should she be? If she loved God, what would she do? What did Jesus say? If you love me, you would. What is this showing up? She doesn't love God. This doesn't excite her. Oh, they brought the box back. So she's watching from a distance, looking out the window, watching David leap and whirl. And she despised him in her heart. Verse 17, so they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. When David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, doesn't this sound familiar? He's excited that God and the presence of God is back, but his praise, his worship in his mind is not complete without this offering. David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings. He blessed the people in the name of the Lord. And this verse, I've never seen it before. 
What's the, what's the very next thing he did? He distributed among all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both the women and the men, to everyone, a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, a cake of raisins. What's David doing? Serving. Serving. The king is serving his people. Is he half-hearted about it? Is it ritualistic to him? He is serving, but there's joy. There is enthusiasm in it. So all the people departed, everyone to his house, and David returned to bless his house, his household. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how glorious was the king of Israel today. Sarcasm. How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. Now, you know, her words have led us and many to believe David was out there either naked or nearly. Isn't that what it sounds like? You've uncovered yourself. Be honest, you thought that. The David went dancing down that street in his tidy whities or some, <laughs> some underwear garment that everybody should be so embarrassed. Oh, don't look. That's, that's what her words made it sound like. But did you notice in the verses before it, it said it, we were told what he was wearing. It was the linen ephod. This is a robe. This is a priestly robe. So what is she talking about? She, she's saying... You took off your royal robe. Oh, church. You took off that high place. You took off. You stripped yourself of your royalty. And you put this other thing on. You go study the ephod. And it's what God told Aaron to put on. He said, don't you minister without wearing this. This is what you wear to minister. And if you look up the word minister, you know what it means? And it's even translated this way a number of times throughout scripture. Servant. This is what you wear to serve. So what's she saying? Oh, you're uncovered. No, he just changed clothes. So enthusiastic. So excited about God and the return of his presence to his people that he humbled himself, took off his kingly stuff, put on the robe of a servant. And he said to her, it was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father in all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord and I will be even more undignified than this. And I will humble myself in my own sight. And as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken by them, I'll be held in honor. Here's what I want you to see. When you get enthusiastic, when you find joy in serving, you know what's going to happen? It's going to show up other people's apathy. See, there are people that think they can hide in the crowd. They can hide their complacency, but they can't hide if you're enthusiastic. 
David's exuberance, David's joy, David's enthusiasm over God did one thing, shined a light on her complacency. And it didn't go well for her. We get one detail about the rest of her life. She bore no children. Her sarcasm, her criticism, her despising of somebody who loved God enough to simply change his clothes, humble himself, and dance before the Lord. She despised it, ruined their marriage, and who knows about the rest of her life. She could have been down there. She could have seen what was going on from that window, and she could have said, I'm not letting him out praise me. I'm not, I'm not letting him outdance me. Besides, it's so awkward. I better go down there and distract, right? And show these people how to dance. She could have participated. She could have got involved. The same opportunity was there to be enthusiastic about the presence of God. But she despised it instead. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY and any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the house of faith.